Welcome to the podcast of Destiny Community Church. Last week we began a new series called All We Need Is Love. And if you've been around this church for very long, you'll know that during the month of November, I usually preach sermon series that are aimed at getting the church outside of the walls of the church. Uh, it, it's, it's meant to inspire us to, to reach out. But this series, as I told you last week, is a little bit different. We're going to get there. We're going to talk about reaching outside. But first of all, we have to deal with some things inside. Because in order for us to love someone else and truly love them with the love of God, we must fir- first recognize that the love of God is for us. It's meant for us. It's aimed towards us. And if we can comprehend that, then we will be able to love others better. Last week, we looked at Paul's prayer for the church in Ephesians chapter 3. Paul wanted us to understand how wide and how long and how high and how deep God's love is for us. And so we explored that. I told you last week that you don't have to earn God's love. I told you that even if you don't love God, he still loves you. And that is still something today that I feel like we've we've really got to wrap our minds around because I, I, I wonder sometimes if we truly understand that God's love is unconditional. I told you that God's love is, is described to us as agape, which means unconditional, sacrificial, and even vulnerable. God is vulnerable for us. Today is going to be interesting, and I'm, I'm, I'm really praying as to how, um, how this comes off. One of my favorite lines from any movie comes from the movie Still Magnolias. And uh, I don't know if any of you are Still Magnolias fans in the room, but Truvy, who is played by Dolly Parton, she says this line in the movie, and it has become one of my trademark lines in my own life. And she says, oh, Sammy, Sammy's so confused, he doesn't know whether to scratch his watch or wind his butt. That's pretty confused, right? Today, I'm praying that as you walk out of this room, that you're not so confused that you don't know whether to scratch your watch or wind your butt, okay? That is my prayer for you today because I'm letting you know in advance there's some deep stuff that I've got to cover today, and I'm not even sure if I'm qualified enough to cover it. But I'm going to give it a a try, okay? We're going to make an attempt at this, and we're going to see where it ends up. And so today is either going to be very eye-opening, or it's going to be confusing. I know in my heart what I want to say. I know in my heart what I want to feel. But let's see if my my head and my mouth convey it, okay? Let's see how that works. And if it doesn't make sense, at least you have lunch to look forward to, right? Amen. 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 If I was to take a survey this morning asking you what the most important element of the Christian faith is, our answers would be all over the place. They would vary all over this room. I could probably get a a hundred different answers from this congregation on what the most important element of the Christian faith is. For some of you, you you might say that winning souls is the most important part of the Christian faith. And and I would say that is is a a very, very good part of the Christian faith. I mean, I, I think that's high on the list there. I would definitely think that winning souls is important to God. Some would say that worship, that worshiping God the Father, that that exalting Jesus Christ, that 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 is the most important part of the Christian faith. And I I would agree that that is is very important. That is something we need to practice in our lives. 
Some would say that you have to have faith, that without faith it's impossible to please God, and so you have to have faith. So that has to be the most important part of the Christian faith, and I would agree that having faith is very important. To some people, they would say knowing His Word, that, that studying and learning God's Word, because God's Word is alive, and so this has to become important to us, and I agree, it needs to be important to us. Others would say, Serving is the most important part of their faith because our Jesus, our Christ, he, he was a servant. He had a servant's heart. So serving is the most important part. And believe it or not, there are some people who are gifted in giving. And so to that person, they are going to say that giving, for God so loved the world that he gave. And so giving is the most important part of the Christian faith in their eyes. And when it comes to our faith, we have to ask this question, what is the most important factor? What's the most important factor of our faith? Jesus was asked this question by the Pharisees. Understand this, church, that there were three groups of, of religious elite that did not care for Jesus very much. We know that there were the Pharisees, there were the Sadducees, and there were the Herodians. And they were always trying to corner Jesus. They were always trying to back him into a corner with different comments or questions because they wanted to disprove his deity. I'm convinced that these groups of people were made up of women. because they knew how to ask those tricky questions. I'm kind of joking, I'm, 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 I am joking, I am. Women don't hate me. But men, you better listen to me. Your woman knows how to ask some tricky questions. When she asks you this question, do these jeans make my butt look big? Don't you hesitate. You quickly say no. That's always the answer to that question. I don't care if those jeans make her butt look like a billboard. You say, no, no, they don't make your butt look big. No, honey. No, honey. If she says, ask you this question, if you're, if you're in a mall or, or a public place, and she points another woman out and she says, do you think she's pretty? I don't care if she's a supermodel. You look at your wife and you say, no, she has nothing on you. Trust me. You make that right decision. You set it in your heart and in your mind right now that that's how you're going to answer that trick question because women know how to ask some trick questions. Uh, men, really, really, really pay attention to this one because this is, this is the one that'll get you because it doesn't, it doesn't come in the form of a trick question. But when she asks you this question, do you still love me the way that you loved me when we first met? Pause. Ask it again in your head. You repeat it in your mind 15 times if you have to until you can make sense of what she's really asking you because when you answer, well, yes, I still love you the same that I loved you the day that I met you, that is the wrong answer. It is a trick question because she's going to respond with, well, I don't. I don't love you the same. My love has grown for, for you over the years. And, and, and if you can't match that kind of I'm telling you, you listen to your pastor. Women know how to ask trick questions. Amen? amen. Even the women are amening. That's they know. They know. These religious groups, they always tried to trap Jesus by asking him questions. 
They asked him many questions from, from taxes to marriage to the resurrection of the dead. And every time they asked him a question, they were always trying to trap him. And though their questions were anything but sincere, we can still learn a lot about the heart of God through these exchanges. We can also learn a lot, a lot about our own selfish hearts in the process. And today I want us to look at one of those exchanges. I want us to look at one of the conversations that, that, that Jesus had with the Pharisees. You can go ahead and turn with me to Matthew chapter 22 if you want to. Matthew chapter 22 Jesus had just been questioned. He was just questioned by the Sadducees about the resurrection of the dead, in which the Sadducees did not believe in the resurrection of the dead. Jesus stood his ground. He said what he believed. And he ended the conversation by stating that God is not God of the dead, but of the living. Not to let Jesus off that easy, the Pharisees pose another trick question, one that has consequences with it. And so they asked Jesus this question, what is the greatest commandment? They even kind of set him up uh, acknowledging some form of respect because he was a rabbi. They said, teacher, what is the greatest commandment? Now to you and I, we don't realize the significance of this question, but they did. And, and it was a trick question, and Jesus definitely realized that they're trying to back him into that corner. And so they're, they're really asking Jesus this question, what pleases God the most? That's what they're saying. What's the greatest commandment? What, what can we do? Out of all the commandments, which one pleases God the most if we obey it? And it was a loaded question in the sense that the Jews took the Old Testament very seriously. They, they honored the law. They lived by the law, the law of God. And the Pharisees had counted 613 separate laws. They had divided them into, into 247 affirmative laws and 365 negative laws. And then they had what they referred to as heavy laws and light laws, kind of like how we have felonies and misdemeanors. Though they spent a lot of time ranking laws, they still considered all of the law Every law in the Old Testament, every law in the Torah, they considered all of them equally great because it was God, after all, who, who had commanded these laws. And so you cannot put one above the other. They all need to be kept. And if Jesus picked out one law as greater than all the others, he was then saying that there were some of the laws that were not as important and they would hold him as a heretic in that moment. And so Jesus is being asked this trick question, and, and what they didn't even realize was how fundamentally flawed that their question actually was. It was rooted in a, in a legalistic works-based society, in, in a works-based system, that, that there was no room for grace in this system at all. And you have to understand that, that Jesus was teaching a new covenant. The old covenant said, what must I do to earn God's love. That's what it said. What do I have to get right in my life in order for God to love me? What I's do I have to dot? What T's do I need to cross in order for God to truly love me? How do I get back to God by, by doing whatever I can and getting it right? That's the old covenant. The new covenant said, look what God has done. 
Look what God has done. Let's celebrate what God has done. Let's celebrate what he's done in our lives. And it was not works-based at all. It was, it was faith-based. That if we would just trust Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, then we find our salvation. And so with this trick question being posed to Jesus, we, we listen now to the response of Christ to their question. Matthew 22, verses 34 through 38. says, but when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. And one of them, a lawyer, there's part of the problem, right? One of them, a lawyer, we had a lawyer in first service and he just gave me the evil eye at that moment. One of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the great commandment of the law? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. Now, we are not going to dive into the second commandment today. We're just going to stay on the first. We'll get there. But he said the great and the first commandment is to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind. Rather than just pull some random answer out of, out of thin air, Jesus throws a quote at them by God himself, and he goes back to the law, he goes back to the Torah, to the Old Testament, and he quotes Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 5 that says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And so Jesus says this becomes the, 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 the great and the first commandment. If you, if you want the greatest commandment, I'm giving it to you. You need to love the Lord with, with every part of your being. If you can learn to love God with all of you, that is the greatest commandment. What does God want most from you? What does God want from me? I'll tell you what that answer is. God simply wants you. God just wants me. That's what God wants. It's not hard, church. God just wants us. That's what he wants. He wants all of you. He wants all of your dreams. He wants all of your desires. God wants all of your abilities. God wants all of your talent. He wants your trust. He wants your fears. God wants all of your struggles. See, God just doesn't want all the good things about you. God's willing to accept all the bad things about you too. That's where he differs from humanity. In humanity, we, we, we just want the good parts of someone. But God says, you bring it all to me. I want you for you. I just want you. And if you will just come to me and then and, 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 and you will just give it to me, cast your cares on me because I care for you. I want all of you. And God doesn't expect you to be perfect. Perfection isn't necessary, but total surrender is. If you want to love God, you are going to have to learn to surrender to God. And so I ended last week with this undeniable truth. You don't have to change for God to love you, but you do have to change to love him back. I want this to sink in. You don't have to change for God to love you. Understand that. You don't have to change at all for God to love you. God loves you. God loves you just as you are with all of your mistakes, with all of your imperfections. God loves you. But you do have to change to love him back. There are some things in your life that will have to change in order for you to express your love 
back to God. And before you think that this statement is contradictory to grace, let's go back before creation and realize this fundamental truth that God is love. Understand that. God is love. God was love. God will be love because God is love. We've got to continue to understand that love is not a word that's used to describe God. God describes love. We understand what true love is because of who God is. We don't use the word love to describe Him. He gives us this love. He gives us what it means to truly love. And so since God has always existed, therefore love has always existed. And it's hard for us to fathom. We cannot wrap our finite minds around this. God has always been. You can't understand it. I can't understand it. Not even going to try to explain that today. But he has always been. He was not created. He has always been. He always will be. And God is love. Therefore, love has always been and love is and love always will be. So since God has always existed, that means that love has always existed. Love existed before I had a chance to share it. Love existed before I had a chance to receive it. Love has always been around because God has always been around and God is love, so love has always been. So let me ask you this question. If God exists outside of time and space, who did God love before there was anyone to love? And that answer is both simple and complex. God has always loved himself. And I know that this sounds like I'm making God out to be so self-centered. But in order for you to truly understand God's love, you have to understand the Trinity. That we have God in three persons and one Godhead that we have God the Father, and we have God the Son, and we have God the Holy Spirit. And there is a love and a respect among them that puts them in such unity that we call them a Godhead. I'm, I'm telling you, I know today is deep, church. I understand that this is a Wednesday night teaching, right? I shouldn't get this deep today. This, this, but, but this is what, what we have to understand if we're going to understand God's love. And so when you understand that there is a Trinity, that there is a God the Father, a God the Son, and a God the Holy Spirit, then you have to understand that the Father has always loved the Son, and the Son has always loved the Father, and the Son has always loved the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit has always loved the Son, and the Father has always loved the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit has always loved the Father. Right? And out of this love, the way that they express their love to one another is that they glorify one another. God glorifies the Son, the Son glorifies the Father, the Son glorifies the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit glorifies the Son.
The Father glorifies the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit glorifies the Father. This is their love for one another. And each of them will do whatever they have to do to make the other one look good. Man, there is something for us to learn there about our own love life. If we would ever learn to love with that kind of love, that we will do whatever it takes to glorify the ones that we love. That's how, that's how love is meant to be expressed. I want you to listen to how Jesus said it in John chapter 5. It, and, and just reading through it, it becomes so confusing. But understanding the, the illustration that I just showed you here, put, put all that in the terms of this. But Jesus answered them, verse 17, but Jesus answered them. My father is working until now, and I am working. This was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his, his own father, making himself equal with God. So all of a sudden, God the Son, Jesus Christ, is making it known to them that he is deity. And this upsets them. They do not want to hear. The religious people do not want to hear that he considers himself to be equal with God. So Jesus said to them, verse 19, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of His own accord, but only what He sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. For the Father loves the Son and shows Him all that He Himself is doing. And greater works than these will He show Him so that you may marvel. For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom He will. For the Father judges no one, but He has given all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent Him. Jesus said, I do what I do because I am one with the Father. And unless the Father sends me, I can't come. But because the Father loves me, He puts me in situations in order for Him to glorify me. And, and notice, every time you read of Jesus performing something great for the kingdom of God, He would always give the glory back to the Father because this is the way that they express love to one another. The Father was always putting Jesus in situations to where his glory could be revealed. And Jesus was so adamant about giving the glory back to the Father. And then, and then it came time for, for him to send the Holy Spirit. And Jesus glorifies the Holy Spirit because he understands that the Holy Spirit is going to glorify him and drawing people back to him. It's so hard for us to wrap our minds around, but just understand they glorify one another. They love one another through glorifying each other. So the father loves the son. So he, he creates opportunities constantly for him to be glorified. And in turn, the son keeps glorifying the father in return. So, so it came to the time for the creation of humanity. And in the creation of, of, of humanity, when he chose to create us, God was simply creating another way for him to express his love and for Christ to be glorified. We didn't understand it in the beginning, but it was so that Christ could be glorified. Think about this. God's love was so great 
that he could not contain it all in himself, not even in God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. His love was so great that he could not contain it all in himself, so he created us. We were created, and we were caught up in, in, in this big love fest is what it is. You want to understand the kingdom of God? It's all about love because God is all about love. And so when you try and put rules and regulations, and you try and live your life according to law, you're always going to fail in the kingdom of God because this is all about love and he invites us in to be a part of this and he says I love therefore you love I want you to understand my heart and we have completely lost the heart behind love God created us to love him back we all want our love to be reciprocated you do you remember that first school-age crush that you had, that first person that you thought that you loved. You remember that person? You remember how they broke your heart because the love was not reciprocated back? Oh, I remember it. She broke my heart. We went out for about, see, we started right in the end of school, like right when the bell rang. We met up at the skating rink that night. Her sister cried because she liked me, and she broke up with me because her sister liked me. And I was heartbroken. That was it. That was the end of that relationship. It hurts when it's not reciprocated. It's the desire of every human heart. When we love, we won't love in return. And so a mother wants her child to love her back. A father wants his child to love him back. A wife wants her husband to love her back. And a husband wants his wife to love him back. This is how we are created. And you have to understand that you were created in his image. So you must get this. God created you and God desires for you to love him back. He loves you. In all of your sin, he loves you. That while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. There's no doubt in that. Quit believing that lie. God loves you. Now we've got to figure out how to love him back. And he created us to love him back. And then sin threatened that love. Not on his end. God is love, was love, will be love. God never stopped loving us. It was in the garden where we stopped loving God. Because we pulled that trust away. And we stop loving God and in our sinful state, we don't love God because you can't love God and love that sinful state at the same time. You can't be in sin and love God at the same time. You can be in sin and God love you, but you can't be in sin and express your love to God at the same time. And so the Holy Spirit that Christ glorified, he said, I, it's expedient that I go to the Father because if I don't go, then I can't send you the Holy Spirit. You're going to love this guy. He's going to lead you into truth and righteousness. Look at Jesus. Glorify the Holy Spirit. And so he sends the Holy Spirit in order to, to con convict our lives and bring that conviction so that Christ can be glorified. So he glorifies Christ right back. And, and the enemy turns that, that conviction around. He turns it into condemnation where all of a sudden we're stuck living in this shame and this guilt. And it's not the way that God intended for us to live our lives. And the enemy distorts it. He perverts everything. God creates it and he will pervert it. 
And the enemy turns that conviction into that shame, that guilt, and sometimes even blame. And understand this, church, and I, I know this is so deep, but let me sum up the Old Testament for you. For 4,000 years, we tried to earn God's love by getting it right. There's more to the Old Testament than that, trust me, but all throughout the Old Testament, humanity's storyline, we keep trying to get things right in order to earn God's love. That's the way it was throughout the whole Old Testament. And, and when you live life that way, look who it glorifies. Look what I did. Look what I got right. Look how holy I am. Does that not describe the Pharisees of the New Testament? They were glorifying themselves, putting themselves above others because they followed the law. Look how great I am. I'm better than you because I obeyed the law. I'm better than you because I obeyed what God said. And one of the problems with, Christ, with the Christian church in America is our mindset that we're better than them because we love Jesus. That's what we think. We're better than them because we love Jesus. I told you this last week. He doesn't love me any more than he loves the rank sinner, the mass murderer, the rapist. If you think for one second that God loves me more than he loves any of them, you're wrong. I didn't say he approves of what they've done. But God loved the world so much, the whole world, that he gave his son. And in the church sometimes we, we develop this mindset that because we gather on Sundays and we sing the right songs and you listen to the preacher preach, that for some reason God loves us more. And this legalistic approach is, is, is this legalistic approach is not any better than that self-righteous piety that Jesus faced in the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And they made a mess out of it. And so in his great love for us, he sent his son to die for us. Remember what I said. The Father will always glorify the Son, and the Son will always glorify the Father because that's how they express their love to one another. So He loved us enough to redeem us by sending His Son to die for us. 1 Peter 4 and 8 says that love, what, what God is love, love, God covers a multitude of sins. Jesus hanging on a cross covered a multitude of sins. He covered my sin. He covered your sin. He covered their sin. He covered all sin because God covers a multitude of sins expressing his agape love for us hanging on a cross. And then God the Father glorifies Jesus Christ once again through resurrection and then he gives him a name that is above all names. I, I know, I know that this is deep and it sounds so complicated, but it's not. Listen to me, church. If you want to love God, live your life in a way that glorifies the Son. That's it. That's it in a nutshell right there. If you want to understand how to love God, you live your life in a way that glorifies the Son. That's how you love God. 
We truly love God when we do everything we can to bring Him the glory. It's not about pleasing God. That's how, that's how the legalistic mindset wants to, wants to earn it. But it's not about pleasing God. You can't make God love you anymore. It's about expressing our love to Him by glorifying Jesus. And our strongest efforts should not be wasted in trying to do enough to please God, but rather in glorifying His Son. That's how you love God. And so church, in everything that we do, everything that we do, we must let Christ be glorified if we want to express our love back to the Father. That means in our occupation, Christ has to be glorified. If you want to love God, and Jesus said that's the most important commandment, is to love God with everything, everything, even your job. Love God. So you know what that means. It means you've got to, you've got to watch that, that water cooler chatter that's happening around the office, right? It means you've got to stop the, the flirtation that's happening in the office that's going to break up your marriage if you're not careful. You don't want me to stay on this, do you? It means you've got to respect the authority that God's put in your life, even if you don't agree with them. It's tough going back to the job after the preacher preaches something like this, isn't it? You've got to glorify God. Glorify Christ in your occupation. You've got to glorify God in your finances. You've got to glorify God in how you serve others. You've got to glorify God on your social media pages. Oh, here we go. I should have just kept going, right? I was so close to being done, and then, and then this happens. You've got to glorify God on your social media pages. If you will glorify the Son of God... If all of us would glorify the Son of God through what we post, which leads me to my next point, you've got to glorify God in your politics. Something funny happened this, this past week. Um, Cindy, our worship leader, we were talking, and we were, we were just picking about, uh, there, there's a group in our church, and it's, it's fun. It was, it was all fun banter, just fun stuff happening about, about decorating for Christmas too soon. I don't want to start that debate today, okay? I don't, I don't, I don't. But there's just, there's a a few people in our church, a group, a a part of our community that they got on social media and they're all going back and forth at each other and we were kind of laughing about it and and Cindy made the point. She said, I'll just give them a few months and they'll start, start arguing about politics. Church, I'm going to go ahead and give you a warning right now. You need to let Christ be glorified in what you post. The world is watching us. We have a responsibility. And I know that we think we do it all in the name of God. But there's moments when we need to be careful. There's moments that we don't need to go out picking the fight. Blessed are the peacemakers. I think that's what Jesus said. I'm almost positive. I'm not talking about extinguishing the the burning desire in our hearts for do what is holy and what is right. Certainly, we, we have to do what is holy and what is right. But you know before you post it that someone is going to be offended by what you what you write. We've got to let Christ be glorified, not only in our social media pages, but in our politics. We've got to let Christ be glorified in our relationship with our children. We've got to Let Christ be glorified in our marriage. 
In every aspect of our lives, we must let Christ be glorified. If you want to love God, glorify Christ in everything that you do. And here's the promise. And, and this is where the church can become effective. Jesus said in John 12 and 32, And I, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. Imagine what happens when we glorify and we lift up Jesus in every aspect of our lives. You want to talk about turning the world upside down? We could take 550 adults. I don't know how many we would have in service in our two services today. You let 550 some odd people begin glorifying Christ in everything that we do on our jobs, in our homes, in our marriages, with our children, on social media in our politics, and everything that we do, if we would learn to love God by glorifying Christ, his promise is, I will draw them in. We can't reach out to them until we learn how to love God. And you only love God by glorifying his son. That's it. Because that's how they express love to one another. And that's how we have to learn to express our love. Thank you for listening to the podcast of DCC. For service times and directions, log on to www.destinycommunitychurch.org. Thanks again for listening.